I was sitting in my office, and it came as a, a challenge. It was even hard to describe. I don't know if it was a call or just a, a question that he wanted to ask or speak over this body. It applies universally. I don't care whether you're a member here or a guest here, whether you've attended a long time or whether this is your first time here. This question or this call applies to you. Whether your responsibilities here are large or small or somewhere in between or you don't see them significant at all, this challenge is still for you. I'll share it first from the scripture and then I'll just say a few words about it. If you would turn with me to 1 Corinthians this morning, chapter 12. The words to that song this morning. Let my trust be without borders. I don't have real good words to express what I hope that means to you. What happened when Peter went over the side of the boat? His faith in that moment was a faith without borders. Because he did something he was absolutely not supposed to do. He stepped where he was not supposed to step and he did what he was not supposed to do. So for that second, for that moment, Peter's faith was without borders. I wonder what would happen if an entire congregation could begin to function with a faith and a trust in Jesus Christ that was without borders. Every one of us in here, by some measure, have boxed God in and said, I know he will, but I'm not sure he will now. I'm not sure he will for us. Every one of us, based on history, time, teaching, whatever it happens to be, has created some boundary around our belief in God, of what, he, what he's willing to do and what he won't do. I pray this morning that we will go back to a place somewhere, like we talked about last week, asking what stole your song. Because God wrote a song that you were designed to sing. God wrote a story that you were designed to live. He wrote a screenplay in which you were designed to act. And someone, somewhere, sometimes, some incident, some relationship, some brokenness stole the song. And we don't sing much in that story, live that story, or act in that screenplay anymore. Because something stole our joy. Something stole our peace. Something stole it. Well, I pray this morning that we could go back to a time when we actually believed that God was God. And that he could do anything. And that he would do anything. For some of us, that might have, we might have to go back all, all the way to childhood before someone told us what God would and wouldn't do. I can assure you, when we were introduced to God, we were introduced to a God that we believed could do anything. To a God that said, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. I want to tell you, we sing songs of Jesus loving the world and all the children in it. Every color, every race. We sing about a huge God who loved Zacchaeus and called him down. We sing of a great God who was huge. Some of us may have to go back to childhood to believe in that God again. But I pray that you'd go back. Find him again. Find the God who you can trust with no borders so that we can go and do and be where we aren't supposed to go. We're not supposed to, according to man's teaching, we're not supposed to see John's souls healed. 
Because most of the common teaching today is that that day is over. That day may be over, but God's not. And the God that heals is still the God that heals. And though it hasn't happened yet, my faith is no less great. And that day is coming. For you, it may be today. I pray that you've come with the expectation that God will be 100% God today. And that our faith, our trust without borders will allow us to step in places where we've never been before. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, to introduce what God shared with me a couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday. Beginning with verse 25, 1 Corinthians 12, beginning with verse 25, that there should be no schism or no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. This chapter is the end of Paul's amazing dissertation on spiritual gifts and how diverse but unifying God's gifts are as he planned it through the work of the Holy Spirit. However, my single focus this morning is not on the entirety of what I read. It's simply on the very last verse, in verse 31. As Paul ends this chapter and says, But covet, desire earnestly the best gifts, and yet, and since that, I show unto you a more excellent way. Paul's instruction was very clear. It's completely appropriate for us to desire, earnestly covet the best gifts. Now, first of all, we ought to understand what he meant by best. He didn't mean that some are above others. He meant that in Greek it means those that are the most useful in terms of service. Because we're gifted differently, we desire different gifts because it allows us to be useful in the kingdom and to be more excellent in what we do. And he says, yet, still, in terms of comparison and by degree, he wants to show us a way and a, a particular way of thinking, a particular way of feeling, and a particular way of deciding, in Greek is the word hodos, which is exactly the word that Jesus used when he says, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. When he uses the, that word way, it's exactly the way he described himself in that former passage. It's exactly the same Greek word. But my focus this morning... And my heart's message, and the one that he placed on my heart, was the word excellent. This was what he spoke. His challenge, his call, or his message was this. How many of us have a desire sown into us by the work of the Holy Spirit that everything that we put our hand to, that everything that we put our heart to, everything that we're called to do is done with excellence? This is one of those messages where I really wish that I could just unzip something in us, insert this word excellence, zip us back up, and we could march out of here 
every one of us carrying that word and that reality in our life. Because mediocrity has been sown into who we are. Doing the average or doing the least has become who we are. And I know that my words here, my challenge to you, even coming from the Holy Spirit to me and extended to you, is not going to make any difference in your life if you don't receive that word, accept it, and say, God is speaking to me through that instruction. Because there's not much that we do anymore, even in addressing his kingdom, in addressing his life, in addressing his plan for us, that we would characterize as excellent. Because getting by works. I want to tell you, when the Holy Spirit hit me, because it it hit me as hard as your pastor, as I hope that this word speaks over your life, because I realized how many things in my life, regarding the church and regarding you, I had no longer had a desire for excellence. It was just getting by. When you look at these pillowcases, look at how every one of them are tied, folded, ironed, tied together exactly the same way. Everything that's on that table speaks of excellence. There's nothing there outside of making them that they were asked to do in obedience. They, were, they could have made them. They could have been lying in a pile They could have been there. There was no need to pray over them. In obedience, they could have very simply said, we'll just make them. I want to tell you, when we came up here yesterday and we were mowing the lawn, and I want to tell you, everything was done with precision. Everything was done with excellence. Because when they not only wanted those children to know that they were loved, they wanted those children to know that something about the people who prepared them, something about them had such an attachment to God that they wanted every one of those to be a reflection of their heart and how they felt in relationship to God. That table is filled with the excellence of God. There's nothing there that was done casually or with a second-hand effort. And the challenge that God is asking this morning is will you, will we, take on that reality of excellence? Or will we continue to offer him what's second or third or somewhere else down the list? When he spoke it, again, it was a real odd moment because it instantly brought joy. It didn't bring heaviness. It didn't bring difficulty. I walked in here and I shared with them. It was kind of an odd Wednesday night for me because as I was coming down the hall, this joy hit me. And I walked in here joyfully, more than I had in a long time, with an anticipation of teaching and what we, and what we were about to sing. But the, the first word that he spoke to me in my office after he spoke the word excellent was the word commitment. And that's where I extend the challenge to you as well. How does your commitment look to God? How does it look before God? Could he tell today, examining your life, examining my life, could he tell that we were committed to something excellent? Does he find us faithful? Does he find us willing? Does he find us ready? Does he find us obedient? What does your commitment look like before him? What does my commitment look like before him? You know, by the way, this is the Christ who spread his hands and and crossed his feet 
and let them drive the nails in his hands and let let them drive the nails in his feet. This is the Christ that we're saying, does he deserve? Should he, by our commitment, deserve excellence? What did he give us? He gave us that excellent way. He established for us a perfect way so that we could come from where we used to be to going to where he has established that we will be. And he's spoken it over us and says, by the way, I'm not only going to allow that by the reality of my blood, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit inside of you who will allow you to be the reflection of me. I have back in my office, we did this many years ago when I was teaching RAs and I did it again for children's church many years ago. There's a set of plans in my office to build small little toolboxes. They're about a foot long and about six inches wide and have a handle on them. And if you walk into my office, the plans are laying there of how to cut these things out and how to put them together that I drew a long time ago. There's one of them that some of the parts are missing. There's one of them that all the parts are there, but they're not together. There's one of them that's there, and all the parts are together. They're just totally put together wrong. And of each one of those, none of them are useful. There's not a single one of those, even though most of them are completely there. The plans are there because of how they were put together. Because of what was done, they're not useful. There's only one that was put together correctly, and there's only one that's useful. The Bible says we are God's workmanship. That we are a reflection of Him. When someone looks at your life and looks at your commitment, looks at your faithfulness, looks at what you're dedicated to, listens to what comes out of your mouth, sees where your feet take you, what conclusion do they draw about the God that you say you serve, the God that you're committed to, and the God that you love? And I know this is a hard challenge. Because we'd rather today talk about the grace of God that covers all those things. The costly grace of what he did to pay for us. And what freedom that gives us. But even Paul said, God forbid that that grace would give us permission to do those things that are not committed and faithful and loving and godly toward him. Where's your commitment this morning? He spoke that word so plainly. Commitment. I would like to stop there because that's really what he stated, but I, want, I need to make one thing clear. I need to establish for just a second, how do you move to excellence? If you would go with me to Colossians chapter 3. I don't want to leave us here, because most of us, and some of us got very committed to do those things that were excellent, the number one thing that we would do is we would go out and just start trying harder. We would start trying to be better and start changing things ourselves. I want us to look at Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 12. And Paul in this instruction says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness and longsuffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalm and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father 
by him. Listen to those words of that last verse. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and Father by him. You notice he calls us God's elect. That word is troubling to many and confusing to many more. But this one thing I can tell you about you and I as God's elect. If we didn't understand anything else, if we didn't know anything else, we should know by the word that, it is, that we were elected in any form or fashion that that gives us a challenge or an opportunity to fulfill. Some in here have, have served in public office. You were elected. That election gave you the opportunity. It gave you the privilege of acting out that which you were chosen to do. If we are the elect of God, whether we completely understand that or not, I want to tell you that that is an office that we are designed to fulfill. It's an opportunity or challenge that we are given that we need to step into and accept as the elect of God. And he says in this, put on the bowels of mercy, of kindness, of humbleness of mind, meekness and long-suffering. Every one of those qualities expressing something about how we're supposed to function in relationship to one another. None of them says go out and work harder. None of them say go out and show up on time. None of them say those things as important as they may all be. Every one of these things that is being addressed, Paul's instruction in Colossians, has to do with the relationship that we share with one another. Fully revealing the heart of God. I want to tell you this morning how we treat others is the number one way that we express our demonstration of what we think about God. How we treat others in relationships is designed to be the number one expression of how we believe that God loves us, has forgiven us. And he even says in this, to forgive others as he has forgiven us. And here's what I really want you to get, because this is what moves you to excellence. I use this in my office as I try to help people and provide counseling to people because so often when we try to give encouragement, we ask them to go out and do something that is impossible to do. How hard it would be for me to give an instruction to anyone here to go to someone and forgive them. I will tell you right now that is an impossible request. Yet we encourage it and teach it every day to forgive. So go out and good luck. Find the person that's hurt you and forgive them. The best that she's going to be able to offer them is a partial forgiveness. Sincere, yes. Honorable, yes. But partial, yes. Why? Because Jesus said this, I want you to forgive them as I forgave you. Whoa. That's different. How do we accomplish that? How do we develop some ability to forgive? How do we develop some ability to to do that within ourselves? To forgive someone the way Jesus forgave us. To the degree that he would give his life for us. That kind of forgiveness. That while he had his hands nailed to the cross and his feet nailed to the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And for me to somehow be able to find within myself that kind of forgiveness? I don't think so. So what's he asking us to do? He's saying, when I forgave you, I delivered you a box filled with forgiveness. 
I gave you a gift of forgiveness that came from me. You didn't deserve it. I gave it to you as a gift. What do we call that? That's grace. He gave a gift that we didn't deserve in the name of grace. But now you're peering into this box and you realize that that, the forgiveness that forgave me is in there, but there's so much more than that. So what am I going to do with all this extra forgiveness? I want to give it away. I'm not going to even look inside myself to try to find forgiveness to forgive someone. I'm going to reach into that box that I was given that forgave me. I'm going to reach in and get that forgiveness. And that's what I'm going to hand to somebody else. That's a different forgiveness. Because then I'm not forgiving it myself. I'm forgiving them by the grace of God and with the fullness of God because it's the forgiveness he gave me to forgive others the same way that he forgave me. Never again bringing up that situation because his blood, that forgiveness, covered my sin, past, present, and future. That kind of forgiveness that I take out of the box that he gave me, I turn and hand to somebody else, it covers what they did wrong in the past, what they did wrong now, and what they will do wrong in the future. You want to try that kind of forgiveness on your own? That's excellent forgiveness. It didn't come out of me. It came straight from him. He says, I want to give you, show you a more excellent way. I try to extend peace to someone. If I try to extend peace to Shorty, I want to tell you it's always partial. It may be the best I can give him. It may be sincere. It may come out of my devotion to him and my appreciation and love for him. That I want to give him peace and when he's in a moment of turmoil. What's the chances that, that, that the peace that I offer him is going to be of real value to him? Not much. But the moment that I became a Christian, this box was delivered to me that was full of peace. And I can always appropriate out of that box to myself. That's where I get the peace that I have. Not because my circumstances are great, but because I reached into the box, received the peace, took it for myself. And when I looked in there, boy, there's so much left. So what peace can I offer him? The peace that God gave me, I now take, which is limitless, and now I can offer to him a peace that's real and genuine. God wants us to love each other. It says here in this scripture to love each other that, with that kind of love. What's the chances that I'm going to be able to love anyone fully and completely if it's coming out of me? Zero. So what's the excellent love I can offer? When I said yes to him and was saved and accepted him as my Lord and Savior, there was a box of love delivered to me. And I can always appropriate that to myself. And I look in the box and there's so much more. Limitless and unbounding, I can reach in and I can extend that same love to someone else. That's excellent love. Do you have any desire this morning to be excellent? Have you been an excellent teacher? Have you been an excellent deacon? If I were to call the, the widows on your shepherd's list, would they say that you were an excellent deacon? Women, deacons, if I asked you the same thing, would they, what would they say about your heart of service? Have you been an excellent friend? Have you been an excellent neighbor? Have I been an excellent pastor? Again, I wish so much I could just unzip us all, insert the word, zip us back up, and suddenly there would be this desire to do things excellent before the Lord. I know that won't happen. I can't do that. You can only receive the word from you accepting it. I can't insert it. 
you have to accept it. I'm not sure this message will change anyone. I'm not sure what anyone's response to this will be. I just know one. I have a desire that when that finally gets dry enough, that when you walk on that lawn, as quickly as possible, you'll never know that anything was done. Because I want it done with excellence. I leveled this vacant lot with my tractor just a couple of days ago after it rained and got wet enough that I could actually do it. And I'm on that tractor thinking, I want this to be the best that I can possibly do. I want the smallest detail to be the best I can do. Not just because he demands it, because that's what I want to give him. I want to give him my best. He gave it all for me. He deserves my best in return. He says, I'll show you a more excellent way. I'll show you how this is designed to be done. I want everything that we do here because of what God said, not because of me, because of what God said. I want everything done from the nursery to the music to the teaching to the staff to being neighbors and good friends to bear the excellence of Christ. He paid so that we could do it. All we have to do is say yes. Most gracious Heavenly Father, the message this morning just requires a check within our own life. What have we offered back to a God who loves us the way you love us? What have we offered back to a Savior who died for us? What have we offered back to the Spirit who came so that all things could be done with excellence? Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in me, so that I can live beyond what I can do of myself. I pray, Lord, that heart by heart, life by life, each one here would decide this morning to own that word excellent, that everything that we do, small and large, would be done with excellence, whether it's mowing the grass, preaching, visiting in the hospital, checking with our neighbor, whatever it happens to be, that it would be done under your favor, with your grace, demonstrating your excellence. What a powerful word you've given us. Excellent. Excellent. With no margin, but to be the evidence and proof of who you are, because you are excellent. Dismiss this body with your love and your care. Dismiss us, Lord, under that full favor, knowing that when we leave here, that how you love us will never change. You're not going to love us more when we're good. You're not going to love us less when we're not. Because your love comes out of your nature and not on our performance. I pray that our performance so would choose excellence because of what you've done. We speak it over this body. Speak blessings and goodness in Jesus' name. Amen.